The Kingdom of God, Part 7, praise the Lord. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about the war of words. The war of words. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 21, the Bible says, Now at one point the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? When is it coming? And so Jesus answered, The kingdom of God is coming. But it is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For indeed, the kingdom of God is in your midst, or the kingdom of God is already among you. I know that in the King James Version it says the kingdom of God is within you, and so we, we have, we've built our theology on that, the kingdom of God is within us. And we who are saved, of course, that's not inappropriate. But that isn't really what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees when they said, when is the kingdom of God that you're preaching about coming? He said the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom does not come so that you can see it and, and uh, judge it and define it necessarily, but it is already among you. Praise the Lord. Now, to properly understand Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, you have to understand the Pharisees, who they were. And um, the answer to that question in the simplest terms, because I want, to, I want you to understand who the Pharisees were, not just as a religious group, but from a philosophic, philosophical standpoint. I want you to understand the world has always had Pharisees. We have them today. So who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the rulers of their society. They are the ones who control the trends of their society. The Pharisees had devised a complex network of rules that controlled family, business, speech, and even the way people thought. They began as a moral revolution many, many years before Jesus came, but they had quickly morphed into the ruling class of an oppressive nanny state. They had the power to classify you as a saint or to make you out to be a devil. And when they put that classification and marked you, you were stuck. That was it. You could not get out from under it. The people that the Pharisees ruled over, secretly hated them. But they always gave in to their demands out of fear of being banned from society as an outcast or stoned to death. The Pharisees were the architects and the enforcers of a highly refined system of words. So many words, so many phrases. No wonder Proverbs says, in a multitude of words, there's no lack of sin. Jesus was short and to the point. But the Pharisees had refined um, a system of words that, that offered and, and actually guaranteed moral superiority if you fulfilled them. But that system of words ultimately enslaved their entire society and culture. Now, the Pharisees instantly hated Jesus when he showed up. Why? Why did they instantly hate Jesus? When they saw all the wonderful miracles, they hated him even more. Why was that? It's because 
Jesus was freely offering people the kingdom of God. And he was releasing them from the bondage of the Pharisees' legalism. That's why they hated him. <clears throat> if they truly loved the kingdom of God, if they truly loved the God of the kingdom, they would have loved Jesus. They would have been happy when they saw him come. They would have rejoiced when they saw people being offered entrance into the kingdom of God, directly dealing with the people. But the Pharisees controlled the social system of their world, and they owned it like their own kingdom. And, and, they, and they did it, they owned it and controlled it by force, through accusation, ridicule, and condemnation. They controlled it through labels of political and moral correctness. They controlled it ultimately through violence, prison, and execution. The Pharisees twisted the word of God into an oppressive compliance, set of compliance regulations so as to control all personal and social activity in the name of upholding rightness and purging evil. So, if the Pharisees were successful and managed to amass all of this power, why were they bothering to ask Jesus about the kingdom of God? The answer is fairly simple, but it's profound and we need to break it apart. But I'm going to give you up front the simple answer of why. And that simple answer is because Jesus wasn't holding the kingdom of God out like a carrot on a stick and using the Pharisees' coercions of fault-finding, ridicule, and threats against the people. Instead, Jesus was simply giving away grace and mercy. He was giving away the power of healing. He was giving away the power of deliverance. And the Pharisees wanted to see his system. They saw everything he did, but they wanted to see the system. Because these were people of the system. They understood systems. And they thought everything evolves from a system. And so the Pharisees wanted Jesus to explain when the kingdom was coming because they wanted to find fault with his system, compare it to theirs, be able to criticize him and discount him before the people. The Pharisees are the PC police of the world. If you haven't figured that out, they were in Jesus' day, and they are today. They classify everyone in groups, and they have no respect for the individual. And because Jesus made the kingdom of God available directly to individuals, they wanted to execute him because he threatened their elaborate system. You know, the Pharisees' utter contempt for the rights of individuals was evident when one day they sent officers to apprehend Jesus, to arrest him, and the officers came back without Jesus. And the Pharisees said, well, where is he? And they came back and said, 
we have never heard a man talk like this before. The cops couldn't arrest him. And the Pharisees were infuriated. And they said to the officers, as they rolled their eyes, have any of us endorsed him? Have you seen any of us believe in him? They had set themselves up as the standard of rightness. And they honestly believed and certainly used the power to condemn. And so they said to the officers, none of us, none of us have endorsed him. None of us believe in him. And then they said this about the people. These were their congregation. These were their flock. Listen to how these pastors talked about their congregation. They said, these ignorant people are stupid and they're demon-possessed. That was, that was how they saw the individual. These people are cursed, they said. So <clears throat> Jesus' answer to them when they asked about the kingdom of God was simply this. If I could break it down for you, I would say that Jesus replied to them saying, God's kingdom isn't a system. You can't see it, grab it, and manipulate it, or use it on people. In fact, the kingdom of God is right now among you. And then that was all he said. It's not a system. You can't use it on people. And it's here right now. So in other words, what Jesus was saying is, there is no social system that can make you a citizen in the kingdom of God. No one can earn it because everyone has fallen short of it. And people cannot be coerced into the kingdom of God by fear or shaming. Because then there's no way to lift themselves up. They have to be gently and lovingly welcomed and lifted into the kingdom by the king, Jesus. There's no system that does that. Amen. There's only one way into the kingdom of God. Jesus, the perfect king, has offered himself for your sins. And everyone, rich or poor, good or bad, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of race, regardless of background, everyone enters the kingdom of God the exact same way. Humbling yourself in repentance and accepting God's forgiveness to become his child. That's how the blessings of unity and freedom, all the things that the world is fighting for in the streets right now, the things that people are complaining and accusing and arguing about, they'll never have it going at it the way they're going at it. But Jesus offers it freely. And there's no specials except him. He is the way in and he freely offers it. You see, the kingdom of God is God's family. There's no system that has ever put one soul back into the kingdom of God. You must be born into it through the Holy Spirit. 
Romans 4.17 says, For the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want to take another look for a moment at that scripture in Romans 14, 17. For before it says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, Paul writes this. For the kingdom of God <clears throat> is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now he's not talking about having fellowship at the cafeteria with meat and drink. When he uses the phrase saying it's not meat or drink, He's referring to something that everyone in his audience, particularly the Jewish people, understood what he was talking about. Under the Pharisee system, meat and drink is the title heading of an elaborate set of rules that you had to comply with in order to prove that you weren't guilty of being what they were trying to accuse you of. Did you catch that? Whatever it was, whatever it is that they wanted to accuse you of, the only way you could escape that accusation was there, was, there were all these rules. And they called it meat and drink because a lot of them had to do with dietary practices. Remember the Pharisees? Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. He, he raises the dead. He heals lame people. And then they get mad because his disciples are eating corn on the cob before, and it wasn't that they were wash, not washing their hands, it's because they weren't doing it in a specified manner, a special meat and drink regulated manner. And so they criticized, marked out, and condemned every word Jesus spoke and every good deed he did because the meat and drink regulations weren't being fulfilled by him. Just think for a minute how wonderful it is that we are blessed with righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit rather than having to labor under the unbearable stress of, of having to comply with meat and drink laws to have righteousness, peace, and joy. I couldn't make it. Could you? I'd get hungry. I'd grab food. There's a number of people here can testify to that. <laughs> those, regular, those regulatory compliance, forced compliance, that would never work on me. It'd be broken within a day. Now the Pharisees are hard at work today, in our world today, trying to dominate our society. They're using the same coercions of accusation, ridicule, shaming, intimidation, and even violence. Through their cruel tactic of cancel culture, they're taking away people's jobs. They're ruining their credit. They're shutting down their existence and ability to move as a person in social media, which, which most businesses depend on today. It's almost like getting the mark of the beast. You can't buy, sell, your money's no good. The nightmare stories are coming out across our land of people's lives who are being destroyed by the Pharisees' use of cancel culture because they just won't comply with one of their meat and drink 
regulations. And while society, while our society is struggling to deal with its challenges, the Pharisees are injecting their twisted accusations and threats into the public dialogue to rupture it, to bring chaos, to overthrow it. And for those who listen to them and succumb to their accusations and threats, stress and anxiety is boiling over. People are running around with their hair on fire. Did you know that Jesus warned his disciples about the spirit of the Pharisees? He actually warned them. He said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Their, hip, their hypocrisy and their intimidation effectively spreads through society like yeast through dough. Jesus said, beware. Do not let them have a foothold in your society. Don't let them in your family. Don't allow them in your church. Don't tolerate them in your nation because it won't take any time at all and they will have won a significant number. Jesus said the whole lump will be infested with that yeast. And so today, the manifestation, the fruit of anxiety and fear that is mounting up among people that aren't walking in the kingdom of God is evidence that the Pharisees have captivated them and are ruining them just as they ruined the people in Jesus' day. This message is not intended to be negative, but sometimes the good news, well, you just don't appreciate the value of it until you contrast it against how dark and bad the bad news is. Thank God the Bible says our light will arise out of obscurity. You know, the scripture says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. It was not the fullness of time because everyone was good and everyone was was ready to receive the kingdom. It was because everything was like it's becoming in the United States of America and around the world today. Because the spirit of revolt, revolt and rebellion had successfully seized the society. You see, we think the Pharisees were the protectors of the kingdom of God, but actually they were an insurgency that had inserted themselves and had taken over. They were the they were the ISIS, the Al-Qaeda of the Jewish religion. They started out as a revival, and then they turned into dominators and control freaks. And the Bible says that was the fullness of time. That was when the, that was when the kingdom needed to come and appear because people would definitely see the difference. And they did. And today... We're quickly heading right back into that state of affairs. Should the Lord not stir the people of God to rise up and to do something, it's not in my hands, it's in His. I can see the handwriting on the wall. But fear not. Hallelujah. This is a message of good news. Fear not. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is still here. Amen. The Holy Spirit. Still here. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Still here. Come on, church.
Hallelujah. Righteousness, peace, and joy are still in our midst and haven't left. The Pharisees say, the system's broken. How many of you have heard that? The system's broken. Every problem is now systemic. Race, systemic. Economy, systemic failure. Law enforcement, systemic failure. Everything is systemic. The Marxist communist view of social problems is called critical theory. And it has completely infiltrated our education system. It has become the standard of what is taught in our universities with its way of looking at human problems. And it basically teaches that people are bad because the system is bad. And it makes them bad. It basically teaches and instructs, change the system. Overthrow the old system. Replace it with a new system and people will be new. Get rid of the bad system and people will stop being bad. Put in a good system, people will be good. And of course, the people who believe this curse the system rather than take responsibility for themselves. You see, this is the belief, critical theory. Go to their websites. They'll come right out and tell you. They'll use the terms, critical theory. You'll read it and go, well, I don't even know what that means. Remember I told you in a multitude of words, or one is not sin. Nobody talks in simple terms anymore. There's all these elaborate phrases that Satan has come up with. You don't even understand. They're swirling around your head. You need to stand on the word of God today. This is the belief that's driving the current revolt in our society. But I've come here this morning to tell you, the problems of our society aren't systemic. They're systemic. There's a big difference. Sin always blames the system. You know, when sin took hold of Adam in the garden and God came and he said, Adam, where are you? And he was hiding behind the bush. Sin had taken hold of him, and God said, <clears throat> uh, did, you, did you do what I told you not to do? Adam immediately blamed the system. He said, uh, well, the wife that you gave me, she did give me the fruit and I did eat of it. What was that? That was saying the problem is systemic. You see, God only gave one system to Adam, marriage. At that point, that was the only system there was. God said, here, the two of you be one, rule and reign, and, and live happily with me. That was the only system he had to manage. And the minute sin entered in, he blamed the system. The wife you gave me. So the Pharisees scream today, the system is broken. But the kingdom of God says, Galatians 6, 5, for we are all, each of us, responsible for our own conduct. Simple. That's the kingdom of God. Now the Pharisees say, everyone must fight racism. If you don't fight racism, you're a racist. You can see the accusation. You can see the trap. There's no way to get out of it. You must fight racism. If you don't, you're a racist. But you know what the kingdom of God says? Galatians 3.28, 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. I don't have to fight what Jesus already defeated. Are you listening to me? What do I, I don't need to fight racism. I just need to lead them to Jesus the liberator. Because in him, slave, free, Jew, doesn't matter. It's all gone. It's over with. Nobody really walking in the kingdom of God exercises any racism. Because we're filled with the love of God. We walk in the love of God. So well, I know some Christians. Well, that, Christ, that word Christian is very elastic. You know, that's like those new spandex pants. You know, the Pharisees say, tear down those statues. They inspire wrong thinking. But you know what the kingdom of God says? John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Tearing down statues doesn't help or improve anybody. But lifting up Jesus does. Wasting all that energy doesn't do a single thing. So typical of the Pharisees. Praise the Lord. One more, okay? The Pharisees say, I'm offended. I am offended. And I demand reparations. But you know what the kingdom of God says? The kingdom of God says to people who say, I'm offended. People have done me wrong. I demand reparations. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think that just, talk about cancellation. I think that just canceled that argument right out, didn't it? In the kingdom of God, nobody, nobody has a right to not forgive. And nobody has a right to claim reparations for the sins that were committed against them. Because I've got some good news for you. In the kingdom of God, Jesus has covered every debt of sin himself. Did he do it or did he not do it? He covered the sins. And you know what? He gave you himself as your reparations. And you know what? I personally think that he's more than enough for you. That's the message we need to take to the world. God has reparations for you. Jesus paid your debt so that you can forgive everybody in your past, in your future, anywhere you care to look. And welcome, child, into the kingdom of God. I want to forgive your sins, Jesus says. And I want to lift you up. Isn't that what people want? They want to be lifted up. That's really what they're crying for. It's so easy to get angry and to look at the people who are revolting. But you have to understand, if they are victims, they're victims of the plot of the Pharisees, educated by the Pharisees, programmed by the Pharisees.
spun up and wound up by the Pharisees. And they need to be set free. They need good news. They're running their heads into the walls out there. And you and I both know they're not going to get anything. It's just going to make things worse for all of us. We need to bring the kingdom of God out into the streets. We need to be the light of the kingdom. And we need to show that grace and mercy and show what Jesus Christ has done to us. Yes, Jesus is our reparations. And his kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The message the church needs to revive and put that message back out there, and that is you're a sinner and you're lost and the Lord is looking for you. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. You tell somebody, I was a hard-boiled atheist when somebody told me about Jesus. And I, I, I can't say that I hated them for it, but I'm not going to stand up here and repeat what I did say, what I thought about them. <laughs> but they planted that seed. And you know what? It didn't matter what my mind was filled with or my heart because the Holy Spirit went to work on me and he, and he began to talk to me. It took months, but that knock eventually came through. Hallelujah. And it will. Stand with me.